Today we're looking at a very important question that Luther, so des- Martin, I'm referring to Martin Luther, Martin Luther so desperately wanted this question answered. How can a sinner ever become right with God? He recognized he was a sinner. He understood God's holiness and God's justice and judgment. And he so desperately wanted this important question answered. How can a sinner ever become right with God? Before we look at the answer found in Scripture, I just want to point, uh, uh, there's a very important difference between, the Roman, between Roman Catholicism and the Protestant view in regards to this doctrine of justification by faith alone we're going to look at. R.C. Sproul has written that the difference between Rome and the Reformation can be seen in these simple formulas here. The, of course, the Roman view goes like this. Faith plus works equals justification. The Protestant view says that faith equals justification plus works. I'll explain this in a little bit here if you're not familiar with these formulas. But notice one thing, one thing in common here, that neither view eliminates works. Okay? Please understand that hopefully nobody in Christendom actually believes that you should not do good works. Ephesians makes it clear, quite clear that you were created for good works. The Protestant view, though, eliminates human merit in regards to salvation. It recognizes that though works are the evidence or the fruit of true or genuine faith, they add or contribute nothing to the meritorious basis of our redemption. The only merit, I should say, the only merit that saves us is the merit of Jesus Christ, and that is received by faith alone, not received by works. Well, in the 1500s, a Catholic monk who by his own testimony hated God was studying the book of Romans. And he couldn't get past the first half of Romans chapter 1, verse 17, which says this, In the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. He just could not get past that. Of course, this monk's name was Martin Luther, and he went on to say concerning this verse, Romans 1, 17, here's what he said, quote, I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God, because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation was that, although an impeccable monk, I stood before God, and as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would soften him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Yet I clung to the dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. End quote. Coming from a good book, if you ever want to read it, it's in my library by Roland Banton called Here I Stand. 
But there was one simple biblical truth that changed Martin Luther's life and really ignited the Protestant Reformation. One biblical simple truth. It was the realization that God's righteousness could become a sinner's righteousness and that could happen through the means of faith alone. You could become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther found the truth in the same verse, by the way, that was giving him all this trouble. If you go on to read Romans 1.17, it says this, Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Not faith plus works. It was faith alone. Sola. Only. Faith only. So here's how Luther described the breakthrough that put an end to the Dark Ages. Quote, I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by his faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet and greater love. This passage became to me a gate to heaven. End quote. So what was the great truth that dawned on Martin Luther that day and dramatically changed and, and altered the church as we know it today? What was the doctrine that changed the world and turned it, started turning it right side up? The answer is justification by faith alone. May I just say that the Catholic system believes in justification? You saw, as R.C. Sproul put in his formula, they do believe in justification. They just don't like the word alone. They don't believe in justification alone. It's justification plus works. And so because Christians have been justified by faith alone... Our standing before God is not in any way related to our personal merit then. It's not our works. Good works and practical holiness do not provide the grounds for acceptance with God. God's not impressed with our works. In fact, the Bible says to him it's like dirty rags. That's the best we have to offer him. He's not impressed with our works. God receives as righteous those who believe on the basis of Christ's righteousness. The only thing that impresses God the Father is His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, how do you get Christ's righteousness? Well, it's, it's reckoned to your account. We see this in Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 5, Romans 4 verse 5. It says, But to him that works not but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted, or reckoned, as some Bible translations say, his faith is counted for righteousness. So what is justification? That's a big word. 
What is it? It it simply means that God freely cancels out all the sin on the debt side of the believer's ledger. Okay? Think with me if, you know, we don't necessarily use the word ledger that much nowadays. But if you want to think of your bank account, if you will. All right? Think of your bank account being in the red, right? You've got this huge amount of debt that you could not possibly ever repay. God the Father comes along and takes that debt that you could never repay and puts it on His Son, Jesus Christ. God the Father takes the righteousness which you could never do and never earn, takes that and puts it in your bank account, so to speak, your spiritual bank account. So God the Father no longer sees a debt that you could no longer repay, but now He sees the righteousness of Christ. In a way, that's what justification is. He reckons all of Christ's perfect righteousness to your asset side. That's what justification is. So what actually changes? <laughs> well, here's, there, there's a lot of uh, interesting discussion in regards to the doctrine of justification. What actually changes? Well, theologically, justification is a purely legal term. It, it describes what God declares about the believer, not what he does to change the believer, okay? Because sometimes you, you might think, well, okay, I don't really necessarily feel any different. It's not about our feelings. In fact, justification affects no actual change whatsoever in, in a believer's nature or character. That, that's not what this is about. Justification is a divine judicial edict. It's on, and it's done on God's part. It changes our status only. Okay, Please understand it. It only changes your status before God. It doesn't change your character or your nature. It carries ramifications, though, that guarantee other changes are going to follow. Okay, Because you are justified, then you're going to be sanctified. And Romans says one day you will ultimately be glorified. But it starts with our justification. Well, if you're not following me and not understanding this, let me, let me give you an illustration. Okay? Because decrees like this are something fairly common in everyday life today. So let me give you one, an, an example that you might understand. When I was married 16 years ago, Near the end of that wedding ceremony, the pastor who, my, my wife's pastor who was presiding over our wedding, made a statement like this. I don't exactly remember the words. You've probably heard a similar statement to this for those of you who were married. But he said something like this. By the authority vested in me by the state of Virginia, I now pronounce you man and wife. Sound familiar? Interestingly enough, after he said that, I didn't feel any different. <laughs> uh, did you, any of you who are married feel any different after the person who said something similar to that? Did, did you feel any different? Like, did, did you get like zapped? Ooh, that felt good. <laughs> you know what? So did I. I'm like, oh boy, what am I, what am I getting myself into here? Uh, and, and we should feel that way. It is a great responsibility. But I didn't really, I didn't, 
legally, I was, we, we became husband and wife. Whereas before, we were only in an engaged couple. Now we're actually married. So in the eyes of that particular pastor and all the witnesses, the, the, the state of Virginia and the government of the United States and our family, our friends, we were different. But I didn't actually feel any different. Does that make sense? In a way, that's what happens with justification. God declares us to be innocent and at the same time to receive and have Christ's righteousness. So you may not feel any different necessarily, but you are. <laughs> just as when I was married, I was no longer just Scott Silsby. Now I, now I was a husband. We had become one flesh. Nothing inside us actually changed. Funny enough, my brother, who was uh, <clears throat> one of the groomsmen, said, uh, you know, this is really strange because all my life I've only known one Mrs. Silsby. But now there's two Mrs. Silsby's. I, I, he just had a hard time getting his head around that. So, so in a way, there was something that changed. Status changed, right? But inside, my wife hadn't changed. But the status had. Our status has changed before God when we are justified. And so the implications, of course, of that declaration by that pastor were truly life-changing. And it is in regards to what God, when God declares us righteous and justifies us again as well, there, the, the implications there are truly life-changing. So in its theological sense, then, justification is a divine verdict when God says, you're not guilty, and fully righteous at the same time. And that's important because it's not enough for God to just pardon our sins. God also has to declare us righteous because without that, you, you still don't have eternal life. You're still not fully justified. So it's more than simple pardon. Pardon alone would actually leave a sinner without merit before God. We need that merit before God. And so when God justifies, he imputes divine righteousness to the sinner. Do you understand there's actually two parts to this now? Are you with me, class? Good. Now, with that in mind, with that little introduction, that go to Romans chapter 4 here, and I want you to see what the Bible says. Don't just take my words for it. Uh, Romans 4, verse 22. Romans 4, 22. Romans 4.22 says this, And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Now we'll stop there for a moment. We'll, we'll go back and look at uh, Romans 4, here in just a moment. So we see that Christ's own merit becomes the ground, the, the foundation, if you will, on which all believers stand before God. And, and we, we even see some of this as well in uh, Romans chapter 5, kind of continuing this theme of justification in Romans 5, verse 19. Romans 5.19, I, I think I put it on the screen here. It says, For as by one man's, that's referring to Adam, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, 
many shall be made righteous. And of course, that one who brings righteousness is Jesus Christ. So again, Christ is, is the ground, the, the basis, the foundation upon which all believers stand. So what does justification do for you? Well, it actually elevates every Christian to the realm of full acceptance before God. You have divine privileges as a result of justification that are actually equal to that of Jesus Christ, the Bible says. Let me give you some of these. Because of justification, there's at least six things the Bible shows us. Uh, Number one, believers are free from any charge of guilt. Number two, believers are given the full merit of Christ reckoned to their personal account. Number three, believers are adopted as sons. Number four, believers are made fellow heirs with Christ. Number five, believers are united with Christ so that we become one with Him. And number six, believers are literally in Christ. So these are the realities that are flowing out of the doctrine of justification, this this edict that God the Father declares on us. These are truly wonderful blessings. At least you, you should think of that that way. But you say, well, okay, uh, you know, some of these things are kind of sounding similar to the doctrine of sanctification. So is there a difference between justification and sanctification? Do they differ? Does justification and sanctification differ? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Absolutely yes, they do differ. There is a difference. Sadly, the Roman Catholicism uh, kind of mingled the two together. They didn't distinguish them enough. So let's, let's do that here quickly. All right, justification. What's the difference? Well, justification imputes Christ's righteousness. Justification takes place outside the sinner. Justification changes the standing of the sinner, and justification is an event. So how is it different? Well, look at sanctification. Here's what sanctification is. You'll see the differences now. Sanctification imparts Christ's righteousness. Sanctification takes place inside the sinner, whereas justification was taking place outside. Sanctification changes the believer's state, whereas justification was changing the standing before God. And then sanctification is a process throughout your Christian life. Whereas justification was a, a, uh, a momentous event. Okay, do you see the difference there? What difference does it make, you say? Okay, you, you say, okay, I see some differences there, but uh, so what? If anybody's thinking, so what? Why, why differentiate? Well, here's why. Here's why it's important. Because Roman Catholicism blended its particular doctrine of sanctification and justification. They blended them together. It, They weren't distinct enough. Uh, Catholic theology views justification as an infusion of grace that makes the sinner righteous. In Catholic theology, then, what, what becomes the ground of justification? The ground of justification in Catholic theology is something that's actually good in the sinner. It's, it's that, uh, It's almost that humanistic belief there's that spark of divinity within everyone, which is a load of rubbish, of course. (laughs) Romans 3 makes it quite clear that there is no spark of divinity within any one of us. So, 
in Catholic theology, the ground of justification is within us. Of course, the Bible shows us it's not within us, it's within Christ. And God has to impute that righteousness to us. So what I want to do is, is look at justification in the New Testament, okay? Particularly in the book of Romans here. Let me just give you a quick um, uh, flyby of, of uh, the majority of the book of Romans, okay? Justification is the heart and the soul of the teaching about salvation. This, and that's why this particular doctrine was, was really coming to the forefront during the Reformation, the Reformation was really a fight over the doctrine of salvation. So praise God for the Reformers who, who gave us back the doctrine of salvation. And Romans, of course, uh, it's one of its major themes is justification by faith alone. So I want to take a quick look here, give you a, a big outline, if you will, of part of the book of Romans. Part 1, of course, Romans chapter 1, going all the way into chapter 3, verse 20, it speaks of God's righteousness defied by a sinful world. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and and most of chapter 3 are showing us that the world, you and I, stand guilty before a holy God. It shows that all men and women have sinned against God's perfect righteousness. So we see in those chapters the doctrine of sin. And then the second part, starting in Romans 3, verse 21, going into chapter 5, shows God's righteousness supplied for believing sinners. And so this is all about the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And then going into uh, chapter 6 through 8, you, you, hopefully you can see the progression here. Chapter 6 through 8 then is focusing on God's righteousness applied in the lives of believers. That's the doctrine of sanctification, where we're being set apart from sin unto God. So do, do you see the progression there? The book of Romans is very logical. It starts out proving that we're all guilty, <laughs> the doctrine of sin, and then it proceeds to show us that our, that our only hope is we need God's righteousness imputed to us. That's the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And then it shows how we can glorify God with our lives as we're continually being set apart from sin unto God. That's sanctification. So what we're going to do is I want to focus on just one of these sections that we just talked about. We'll look at the, the section there dealing with justification by faith alone. And of course, uh, when, and when we look at Romans 4, the main illustration of justification by faith that, that Paul uses is Abraham. Abraham is the main illustration here. So let's look at Abraham. There are several truths that are, are actually coming out of this text that I just want to to uh, show you here. Truth number one is this. That true salvation cannot be earned by works. True salvation cannot be earned by works. Poor old Martin Luther tried. And he tried incredibly hard. But he was continually disturbed and discouraged because he found that he could never match God's holy standard of righteousness. And guess what? Neither can you and I. True salvation cannot be earned by our works. Now look what the scriptures say in chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? 
For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, there's only two kinds of religion in the world, okay? Uh, those, re- those religions, the false religions, often, for the most part, teach that uh, how do you get to heaven? How, how do you receive God's blessing? It's through your own human merit. It's through your works. They focus on what people have to do to please whatever their deity is, right? Biblical Christianity alone, though, is the only religion in the world where God is the one who gives you the merit. Other religions say, well, if you do this and this and this and this and and you do all these things, then you can get God's blessing. Christianity says, no, Jesus did it for you. The Jewish religion is an example of one of those religions of human merit. Judaism believed you had to do all these things. And so by showing Abraham here as the ultimate example to people who revered him and looked up to him, he was the father of Israel, remember. Uh, and so, so, so as God is using him as the ultimate example of justification by faith, the Holy Spirit here is show, or was setting Christian doctrine against these, these centuries of rabbinic tradition within Judaism. <laughs> and of course, that didn't make a lot of people happy, did it? Abraham's faith here, as the Bible says, was the foundation of the Jewish nation and the basis for God's covenant with his chosen people. So, for the Pharisees, though, <laughs> uh, for the Pharisees, tradition was at odds with Abraham. Now, they didn't like to admit that. They didn't admit that. And so for someone like Jesus or the Apostle Paul or anyone else to point that out, that made them quite angry. But Abraham did not practice the Pharisees' religion of merit, though. It's quite clear. We see this in Romans and even in Genesis. So true salvation doesn't come by our works. Number two, truth number two is that boasting is excluded. Boasting is excluded. We, we can't boast. We can't be proud about the merit that we receive. Again, look at verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was belief. It was faith. It was trust in God that was was giving him this justification, if you will. So if people can earn justification by works, what are we going to do? God knows our sinful tendency that we're going to boast, we're going to be proudful and arrogant. We would have something to boast about if we could could earn God's uh, justification. This doctrine is, of course, a humbling truth, is it not? The reality that that there's nothing that you and I can do for God to declare us innocent and to give us Christ's righteousness is humbling. We can't be good enough to please God. There's There's no room in God's redemptive plan for human pride. God himself said, I will not give my glory to another. So this reckoning was a 
one-sided transaction then. God designated righteousness to Abraham's spiritual account. However, did Abraham do anything to earn it? No, he didn't do anything to earn it. In fact, read the book of Genesis, you'll see several occasions Abraham was was doing things to not earn it, wasn't he? Abraham was a sinner just like everybody else. So Abraham didn't do anything to earn it. Even his faith was not meritorious. And by the way, faith is never said to be the ground for justification. It's, it's, it's only the, the channel that God uses to re- for us to receive God's grace. So those who attempt to earn justification by doing uh, things, doing good works, what, what are they accomplishing? Nothing. They're doing nothing. In fact, Paul called it a load of rubbish, didn't he, in Philippians chapter 3. Those things are just a pile of rubbish. They're worthless. They're meaningless. And in fact, they only condemn us. So faith then means the end of any attempt to earn God's favor through personal merits. God is the one who saves, and God alone is the one who saves, and God is the one who does the work of justification. So boasting is excluded. Truth number three, justification brings the blessing of forgiveness. Justification brings the blessing of forgiveness. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And then we have a quote coming from Psalm 32 in verse 7 here. It says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Amen. (laughs) Amen. That's a wonderful psalm, isn't it? So here in verses 6 to 8, David is used as a supporting example here alongside Abraham and is supporting the idea of righteousness by imputation. God the Father has to impute us. And the quote, of course, as I said, is coming from, excuse me, from Psalm 32. The blessedness that David refers to here is, of course, salvation. So justification has two sides, all right? You need to think of justification in a positive and a negative sense. You need to think of it as the reckoning of righteousness to the individual. That's the positive sense. But we also need to think of it in the negative sense where God has to take our sins and put them on Jesus Christ. Of course, this forgiveness would not be possible if our sin had not been paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' death paid the price. There is a price that had to be paid. You and I couldn't pay it. Somebody had to pay the price. So God sent His Son to pay the price for sin. So Jesus' death and blood paid that price. So when God the Father now looks at us, paid can be written on the believer's spiritual invoice. Those of you who have businesses or involved in businesses, you see it often it's in capital, all capital letters, P-A-I-D, often in red letter ink too, isn't it? You got that stamp on that invoice, you love to see that, don't you? Paid. It's done. It's taken care of. You don't need to worry about it anymore. 
It's paid in full. Well, guess what? God the Father put that big stamp on you. Paid in full. And it was through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so our sin was imputed to Christ, and then Christ's righteousness is imputed to the believer. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, then it means you don't need to pay anything. No more payment is necessary. The payment was was required and it was paid in full. So justification brings the blessing of forgiveness. And truth number four is this, that Abraham was not justified by circumcision, which is a type of, an example of a work, is it not? Abraham was not justified by circumcision, even though the Jews thought this was something very important. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who do, or who uh, not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. How many times does God have to say this for us to understand? Abraham was justified while he was still uncircumcised. It wasn't the circumcision that brought the justification. So it had to be something else then, right? Now Paul anticipated the question here that Jews would be asking themselves at this point. If Abraham was justified by faith alone, why did God demand circumcision of Abraham and all of his descendants? Good question. Why did God demand that? Well, most Jews in New Testament times... We're convinced that circumcision was the unique mark that, were, that was setting them apart as God's chosen people. They also believed it was the means by which they became acceptable to God. Is that true? Well, Paul carefully, of course, is pointing out that Abraham was not made righteous by his circumcision here. And so when God commanded Abraham to be circumcised, he had already been declared righteous. So it's important to understand the chronology that happens in the book of Genesis. Chronologically speaking, Genesis proves for us that Abraham was declared righteous, in fact, many, many, many years before he actually was circumcised. In fact, uh, I put a little chronology on the screen here for you. Abraham's circumcision didn't take place until Genesis 17. But the Bible says in Genesis 15 that Abraham was justified before God. And of course, Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17. And in fact, you'll see that it was actually 14 years before Abraham was circumcised that God declared Abraham righteous. 14 years before. So circumcision 
And for that fact, other external rituals are not means to justification. Okay, so you can carry that over into any other work you can think of, and it's showing us that justification is only by faith alone. Uh, Another example of this is Ishmael, of course, one of Abraham's sons. Although Ishmael was uh, circumcised, he actually was never in the covenant, the Bible says. So here's someone who was circumcised. God says he's not in the covenant. So, so uh, there's yet yeah, another example to prove the point. Circumcision was only a mark of the covenant. It was, it was a mark of a relationship between God and his people. It was never meant to save them or bring justification. So truth number five, Abraham was not justified by the law. So he's not justified by circumcision, and we see here he's not justified by the law either. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, For where there is no law, there is no transgression. So again, the chronology of Scripture is proving the point for us here. Obviously, the law wasn't revealed till when? Well, not till the book of Exodus, right? Exodus chapter 20, remember Moses? God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai, and and then Moses received the law in Genesis, or sorry, Exodus. And that's more than half a millennium after Abraham actually lived. <laughs> Long time after Abraham lived. So, therefore, Abraham clearly did not become righteous by the means of the law because the law wasn't even there yet. Does that make sense? So justification, by the way, never been, is, is never been through ritual or the law, never been through things like circumcision or any other work, for that fact. The law has never been a means of salvation. Of course, we see this truth Elsewhere in Scripture, you could read Galatians, for example. The book of Galatians, one of the main points of the book of Galatians is to show that truth. Galatians, in fact, I'll quote one verse from Galatians, which says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So if you try to live by the law... God says you're cursed. You can't can't do it. It's impossible. So the law demands perfection. It it, it demands utter holiness. And the only way to obtain perfect righteousness is for God to impute Christ's righteousness to you. That's your only hope. So you say, well then, okay, um, Paul understood the next question that was probably going to come from this. Well, then what was the purpose of the law? Why give the law if it's impossible for us to keep the law? And and if we can't keep it and and that's not going to get us to heaven, then why give us the law? Good question. Well, the purpose of the law was to reveal God's perfect standards of righteousness. And at the same time, it's, it's, it's setting a standard that is impossible for us as sinful human beings to live up to. There's, there's just no way. There's no way that we can love God with all and, and love everybody else in the world as we love ourselves. That's just not possible. 
And so as we measure ourselves to God's law, we, we see that we fall short of God's glory. Shows that we're sinners. And that's one of the purposes of the law, to show that we need a Savior then. The law cannot save, it only brings the wrath upon us. And obviously that's bad news, isn't it? In fact, that's, that's the worst news that you will ever hear your whole life. And so you say, man, can I have some good news? Yeah, I'll give you some good news, okay? You ready? Here's the good news. Truth number six. Abraham was justified by God's grace. That's the good news. Abraham couldn't justify himself. You can't justify yourself. So how are you justified? It's by God's grace. Look at verse 16, Romans 4, 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Abraham is justified by grace. Even his faith, by the way, even Abraham's faith is coming to him as a result of God's grace. And so the gist, if you will, of this entire passage is really stated in verse 16. The dynamic, if you will, of justification is God's grace. Abraham's faith was not in and of itself righteous. Faith is only reckoned to Abraham and us. For righteousness. So justification is wholly a work of God's grace. Now here God calls into being what actually doesn't exist. Okay, God can do it though. He's the only one who can do it because He's God. You and I can't, um, we, we can't summon up faith within us. God is the one who has to do that work in us. He can declare believing sinners righteous even though we're still sinners. Uh, I forget which one of the reformers said that uh, we, we, well, what changes? We're still sinners. That's true. But we're now justified sinners. Okay? You and I are still sinners even after salvation. But now you've been declared righteous by God, even though you're still a sinner. So you're justified and sinful at the same time. But God chooses to look at Christ's righteousness. So when justification occurs, the process of sanctification begins. And so grace always encompasses both of those. Okay, you need God's grace for salvation and for the sanctification to live a life pleasing to God. You need both. I want to end by looking at some of the words of one of Luther's hymns. This, this is probably not a hymn familiar to you. It certainly wasn't to me. But in the midst of Luther's hymn here, you could, you could just hear, uh, I, I can almost hear in my mind's eye, Luther singing these, you, you got the shouts of battle and, and the shouts of triumph side by side in the same hymn. Look what Luther said. He says in his hymn, In devil's dungeon chained I lay, the pangs of death swept o'er me. My sin devoured me night and day in which my mother bore me. 
My anguish ever grew more rife. I took no pleasure in my life, and sin had made me crazy. By the way, let me just stop there for a moment, because there's an interesting story. Uh, when, when Luther was in that castle, when uh, God, God took him the, into that exile, if you will, so that he would write the German Bible, there, there's a story when Luther was, was there, he could so vividly picture Satan in the room with him that there's a story that apparently he took the inkwell that held the ink and he actually threw it at Satan. <clears throat> apparently there's a stain on the wall there in that room that Luther was there. It, that's how vividly he could picture this battle that was going on between him and his, his three enemies, the world, Satan, and his flesh. It almost made him crazy. <laughs> anyway, let's move on in the song. He goes on. Then was the father troubled sore to see me ever languish. The everlasting pity swore to save me from my anguish. He turned to me his father heart and chose himself a bitter part. His dearest did it cost him. Of course, that's referring to Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Thus spoke the Son, Hold thou to me, from now on thou wilt make it. I gave my very life for thee, and for thee I will stake it. For I am thine, and thou art mine, and where I am our lives entwine. The old fiend cannot shake it. And thus ends his hymn that I'm aware of. But do you see the struggle there? And by the way, you're going to have that struggle all of your Christian life until you see Jesus Christ. Until your, your body is glorified and that, that, that old nature of yours is finally gone, you're going, to, you're going to still have that struggle. But the good news is that Christ has given us the victory. We're no longer under the, the rule and the dominion of, of sin. We can actually say no to sin. But we're going to continue to sin, though, aren't we? And so, again, what do we need? We need God's grace. Through the midst, throughout our whole Christian life, we need God's grace, just as Abraham did. Are you trusting in God? Are you looking to God and His grace for everything in your life? Not just eternal life, but sanctification and glorification as well? Where, where does your faith lie? My friend, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, today is the day of salvation. Jesus is your only hope. Put your faith in Him and only Him. So my Christian friend, if you have, if there is a time you can look back upon where you did put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, don't give up on Jesus. Continually come to Jesus, as Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to Him. Trust in Him to find rest for your weary soul. You need His grace every day. Let's pray.